Welcome to the Future That Works podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Lim. In this episode, we look at how we can develop our creativity skills. Yes, we will debunk the idea that we're either born creative or not. Instead, we will explore how we can deliberately develop creativity with our guest, Tech Ong, who is the CEO of Trusted Services and Deep Identity. Welcome, Tech. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. I wanted to give our audience a bit of a rundown on your really interesting and amazing journey. So you've been CEO, author, artist, partner, professor, division head of a bank. Uh, Maybe you could just give us a bit of a background of your journey so far. Yeah, I started out as a consultant with a company called Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture. Spent close to 20 years with uh, with them. And then uh, I spent two stints with them, actually, 17 years and three years and two parts. And then in between that, I had a stay with a bank. Then I joined a, another consulting firm, uh, PwC, and then I came to uh, trusted uh, Tomasi Management Services. Uh, I run two of the subsidiaries at the moment. So that's what I do. That's the boring side of, uh, you know, from a career perspective. I've always, uh, you know, venture out and just explore myself and do other things. Um, picking up new skills, yeah. you know, whatever it may be. Just to be an interesting human being, I suppose, is, is the end objective, if you like. Yeah. Great. Well, I met you at your book launch of Adult Learning Architecture, where I learned how you took, well, really journeyed from a technical person and put yourself full-heartedly into the world of art. So, and then I think I met you again after in the um, Women in Tech breakfast recently. Yeah, um, so, yeah, so I'd really love to hear a little bit more about your journey of being an artist and how you started that especially since I think a lot of us who have, have st- when we think of technical people, we don't automatically think of people who are creative in the arty sense. Yeah, maybe I give a bit of a backstory, I guess mm-hmm. is the first time I'm telling it uh, in a podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Might have told it in the story elsewhere. Uh, the whole idea of uh, being creative, it's not trying to be an artist or trying to be cool. I actually think that there's uh, certain signs or methods to learning as an adult, and I actually think today in school or in the corporate world, we don't really teach with the idea of maximizing the potential of the individual. So in 2012, 2012, I took a year of work and I had this desire to write a book about my learning experiences. Um, throughout my life, I, I guess I explore and I learn stuff, right? And I thought, hmm, there must be some really cool see, um, methods of like structuring the way you attack any particular sort of uh, area of interest, idea, uh, you know, uh, be it playing the piano or being uh, an architect in a software house or be, a, say, an artist, right? So I was trying to generalize the approach to learning and I wanted to write that book. So, you know, that's how it started. And I discovered that, well, I can't really draw. So maybe I should use my technique to learn, do something that I can't do. That's how this whole art thing uh, started and since then, I've actually fallen in love with drawing and painting, and that's become part of my life. But the starting point was not art and painting. It was really about trying to articulate to myself how I learned something new and trying to observe myself and then write it down, if you like, which became the book I wrote, which is mm-hmm. The Adult Learning Architecture. That's the backstory. Mm-hmm. That's how it started. Yeah. And then in that process of kind of learning how you learn and then falling into the creative art side of things. What was that process like for you in discovering that you actually were a lot more creative than maybe initially thought you were? 
No, actually, I still don't think it's born, right? I think it's really a hard work more than... Uh, so when someone say you're talented, uh, when you say, oh, you know, I look at your pain, you're so talented, you must have been born with this great uh, Jedi level type, whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah. I said, well, you just discounted my 3,000 hours of hard work, right? Yeah. You just discounted all the planning and uh, that goes into this uh, whole... <laughs> Uh, hard work, sweat and tears, right? Mm, mm. And I had a structure around it, right? So I can tell you the first three months when I was painting, well, I had a year, right? So, you know, when you take a year sabbatical, you really need to plan it because it goes really, really fast by and you be silly not to put out a structure around the year because you'd be doing stuff that at the end, you'd be, oh, did I just waste my one year? So I had a structure, right? The one year I had, I started with a calendar. I painted every morning from eight to six, pretty much Monday wow. to Friday. Right, so it's very structured. I'm, I'm a very disciplined guy, right? So, all right, I'm gonna learn something new. I'm gonna put a structure on it. But I can tell you the first three months was extremely disappointing and very frustrating because I couldn't paint, right? So what I produced was no better than say uh, what a kindergarten kid would do. I guess you expect that because that's what you do if you have no practice or no no one taught you how to do things, and that's what it is, right? You have no skills. But by the end of the fifth month, after persevering at it. I was producing some really cool stuff. I had my first exhibition in May that wow. year. Yeah, I must have painted like hundreds and hundreds of paint, acrylic, watercolor, you know, some oil. I exhibited 70 painting in my first solo exhibition in May 12, 2012. So that was uh, a quite an amazing journey from zero to there. And to get there, it was a lot of hard work. I mean, there's no talent in that sense. So my view is uh, creativity is not something you're born with. You might have been born with a little bit more than others, but at the end of the day, it's hard work that gets mm. you to the final destination. So, and a bit of structure. Mm-hmm. In that process, have you applied some structure in being creative back to your day-to-day role? Yeah, I think if you link back, you know, being creative at a personal level and then you try to bring back to work, I've discovered that ideas come easier. I oh. discovered that I could put different parts of the idea together in, in ways that I couldn't before. I, I think it's really... The fact that your brain, which is just a bunch of neurons firing and connecting, and that you have used it in a way that uh, created some new pathway, right? Uh-huh. And when you come back to work and you're thinking about some you know, work situation, the neural pathway creates ideas that you probably didn't have before. And that really helps you look at things from a different perspective. Because what I discovered as a creative person in quote, right, is that you look at things differently. You observe and you spend more time observing before you come to a judgment, right? Mm. I'll just tell you a story, right? My, I sketched my daughter once uh, somewhere in Singapore, and it was a pretty old, uh, dilapidated, well, maybe that's not the right word, a bit rundown sort of view of an old shop house. Okay. And a few weeks later, there was a, an artist that displayed her work at the same facade of this hotel, right? Uh-huh. And my daughter was just saying, oh, look, Daddy, they did, she didn't do the, the lights and she didn't write, she didn't put the rain pipe, right, down on this side. Yeah. And I said, how do you know? Well, I, she said, well, I sketched it, so I, I remember, right? And that's the insights, really. As an artist, your observation skills is a level up above people who are not, right? If you mm. take an iPhone and you take a shot, your observation skill is only so much. But mm. when you are actually spending time to observe mm. something for 30 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, mm. you see so much more. And that's an exponential so much more, right? Mm. And that's what allows you to then put it down on a piece of paper, right? Mm. So in the same way, if you apply observation at work, 
you're not going to do a cursory look at what your team present to you in the report or stats or whatever it is. You're going to spend a bit more time trying to understand ex- actually what's going on. Mm. That level of observation is trained. It's mm. not God-given. It's not talent. It's mm. just trained. And your eyes for something of a bit of more detail is also trained. Mm. So in that sense, observation is brought into work from being creative. And mm. that's what changes the way I solve problems. I spend more time observing stuff, mm. connecting dots, Mm. before I actually jump into judgment, right? Because uh, too often we just have, uh, you know, we read all this MBA type stuff and then we have all these rules, you know, we read Kotler, we read whoever it is, right? And then we mm. throw it in and say, okay, this is the answer. Well, no, I mean, situation, um, context is so important in decision-making today. It really mm. is observation first. Mm. So that's what I bring into uh, work. And I mm. think it helped me tremendously. I mean, just looking at spending a bit more time, taking a bit more breath, <sighs> slow down. Mm. Nice. Yeah. What you were saying before, observing stuff, do you mean just stuff or do you also mean people and the way they're interacting with each yeah. other? It's all the above, right? When, when I sketch people, I do quite a bit of that. And, yeah. you know, you, you're somewhere, a couple sitting on the other side and yeah. you're, you're saying, are they sisters? Are they alone? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And you're thinking, you're playing a little game in your head, right? You're yeah. thinking what body language gives you a clue of what, mm. right? And you listen to their conversation. Well, not to ask you, <laughs> but it's, it's a lot of light, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, just yeah. looking around you, it's public yes. space, right? Yeah. And you think, oh, actually, they are. They speak with the same accent. They are probably not from Singapore. They're probably somewhere else. And oh, interesting. They're whatever, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that level of observation, bringing back to business conversation with clients or with colleagues, uh, help you see so much more, right? You know, oh. Someone. Had, looking a, a bit ruffled this morning and you know it's like hey what's going on mm-hmm. that sort of thing it's yeah. not i guess one might say it's not very professional but at the end of the day we are all human mm. and operate at the human level we yes. really need to be human right yeah. and yeah. it starts with the skills of a bit more observant about each other i think helps a lot absolutely i'm curious as a leader particularly in meetings where maybe there's an expectation of decisions uh being surfaced do yeah. you find that uh, whilst you are observing and not ru- not not running quickly into judgment that uh, in doing so how does your team respond or are they waiting for you to just tell them the answer or because you're observing you're noticing that they're also being curious themselves and then maybe finding the confidence to express an opinion and therefore becomes much more of a group decision as opposed to the leader just making a singular call. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not autocratic in, by, by any means. So mm-hmm. I surround myself with people whom I trust that complement my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. I think that's a hallmark, I guess, of trying to create a, a balanced team. Mm-hmm. If we're all alike, we will very much create an echo chamber and then soon you have a unidirectional approach to everything, right? Mm. And so, you know, I, I create not dissenting voice, but diversity in views and opinion mm-hmm. and approached. I am usually high level. So I have people who are very detailed surrounding me mm-hmm. uh, that balance up. Uh, I allow them to say no. I allow them to, in fact, argue with me. And I say, let's, you know, it gets very exciting when we're all like, okay, let's argue about this. It's not about me or versus you. It's about, okay, we have this idea and we are not sure how good this idea is. Let's see where it's going to go if we put our thoughts uh, both good and bad around it and see how interesting these ideas can, you know, where it can go, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's about creating a place where it's safe to be able to debate something at a profound level. Yeah. Uh, I don't stop it when even debate becomes a bit personal. I, I think it's okay. Mm-hmm. I try to say, look, the, the game is not to become so personal that it becomes a, 
are negative, but mm. personal is not like, you know, I'm attacking you as a person. And, you know, it's just personalizing, like it gets emotional and passion into the discussion. That yes. I like a lot, yes. right? Yes, yes. I think that's important as well when you're putting a bit more of your skin in the game. Mm. Uh, and so, no, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't practice autocratic approach. It's more of a team play. And I try to create an environment that's safe for people to debate. So, yeah, and I, I do surround myself with people who are a bit stronger and, you know, do that. Uh, so if someone who is not so um, strong and they are a bit more uh, timid, I think my leadership style will be a bit uh, overwhelming for them because I, I allow them to sink. It, it, there's nothing to protect. There's no autocratic approach or procedures <laughs> to protect people, right? Yeah. It's you against the question, right? If you, yeah. if you have a better idea, you should speak up. So, yeah. yeah. That's great. I'm wondering whether like as an artist, and I'm linking between as an artist, when you're looking at a blank canvas and you may not initially have an idea of what you want to paint, um, sure. using that analogy uh, and, and maybe if you can share, if you practice sort of a beginner's mind in approaching a problem where it's really easy to default to a not like a, a standard problem solution, like, you know, for example, in, in technology, if something breaks, like a doc, like in tech and also like a, if I take um, say health sciences, there's usually a, the most common solution or a bug fix that will address the, the problem. Um, my question would be similar to in the art world where you might start with a blank piece of paper. Uh, yeah. How have you tried kind of bringing a beginner's mind to looking at the problem differently or look before jumping into solution mode or biases that automatically come up? Yeah, you know, coming from a, a very waterfall approach, I mean, I, look, I started as a programmer uh, mm -hmm. all those years ago, many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. right? that, that should pin my age down. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the fact is that, you know, in the old days, we used to be very autocratic in our approach to problems, business oh. problems included, right? So you yeah. say, this is a statement, this is a solution, go build it, takes two years, and then at the end, you try in the market, and many of these solutions crash, right? Because they just didn't really tag the market really well enough and they didn't track it, right? Uh, today, I have a very different approach and I, I'm going to sort of compare with art, right? When you're looking with a, at a building or a person to draw, the first line dictate pretty much, you know, how far, how, what is the angle of the roof, right? And, mm. and you could be like, you know, drawing it slightly less, a bit off, whatever. Uh, and then you could be drawing it at a certain length. Um, after this first line that you put down, the rest is damage control. Right, so you have a roof, and if you draw it this length, that dictates the ratio of the entire building, and you may not even have uh, enough paper to cover it if you miss miss it by being drawing it a little bit longer than you should. Or if you draw it so small, your building will actually shrink, and then you see right. So one person says first line determines the rest of the sketch, and it, it's damage control, right? So damage control is a process where you you look. And then you're putting it down and you're like, oh, oh, I've put it too long, right? So you try to control the damage that you've done with your first line, right? And at yeah. the end, you finish. So business is almost like that today. I think it's a mistake to try to create a structure where you have the entire uh, solution in, in mind and then you try it. I think business is uh, about trying to do something small, test it in the market, get feedback. And that feedback process is what I call damage control, right? Mm. So let's say you put a small, you, you have a great grand business plan. You start with a small app, you try it, right? And you get feedback from the client. The client gives you feedback. If you ignore it, your damage control process is not working. Mm. If you take the feedback from the client and you incorporate it. So what you've essentially done is you started with a small solution, you created feedback, you put it into your, your engineering uh, and you create the next version of the solution, right? I mean, mm. I, Apple iWatch, is the classic example. The first version is just crazy, not doesn't work, right? It's it's mm -hmm. clunky, it's 
slow. It doesn't do a lot. But look at, look at where is it where it is now, like five uh -huh. iteration in, probably a lot more micro iteration in between. So I think that's the same, right? That's what I learned from the art world and the business world. I'm saying, well, the way I see it is that don't worry about the perfection. Perfection doesn't exist. It, it's something that you build over time, cost correcting, always tracking the market, trying to get feedback. As a leader, uh, I, I think of myself as an artist, right? My canvas is the architecture of the organization. Uh -huh. Technology is the process, is the people, is the strategy. If I put all this together and I create a feedback loop where I can track the feedback from the market, my clients, my key clients, I will be able to create many, many versions of future products that are way better than my current one. Uh -huh. I don't have to be the best. I just need to be better than myself uh -huh. tomorrow. Right. Yeah. If every day I take a step like that, I think I have a good chance of uh, being the best in the in the market that I choose to be in. Right? Mm. And that's what we're doing with our business, actually. That's great. So, yeah. I love I love what you said about comparing yourself as the, the like the yesterday's version of yourself. You know, how can you get better than yesterday, yeah. for example? And I think that's that's. Uh, uh, I'm curious how you bring that in. I mean, we, I mean, this the, the question I'm going to ask you is really around performance management and evaluation, which is not anything to do with creativity, but sure. still, it's an important topic. I think because how do you then when you you're trying to compare against yourself, but then the reality of pay rises, uh, yeah. you know, dictates that this needs to be some sort of relative performance yeah. or, or not? That's, a, that's really the question. I think to be fair, the organizations that I've worked on part of, part of in the past have always looked at value as the final judgment of uh, compensation, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the drive in the incessant drive towards uh, measuring value is, uh, is tremendous. I think, you know, in the past, we, we, we used to watch the clock, clock, right? Nine to five. Mm, yeah. You know, if you're here nine to five, Monday to Friday, uh, half day Saturday, you're good, right? Yeah. And then we pay you after 10 years, we give you a Rolex watch or whatever it is that we compensate people. Yeah. Um, today, it's about the value you create. So if you look at the value that people create um, in that sense, I think, you know, compensation needs to be tied very closely to the, the sort of uh, value that you bring to the table. Mm -hmm. right? So yeah. I think that really is the change. And our measurement system, our HR, human resource processes, and our finance processes are still nowhere near where it should be with regards to measuring value, right? Mm. Uh, so, you know, you look at a fintech startup, uh, look at uh, using Kanban, stand-up, agile, to look at delivery of code or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Running a big organization is no difference. The only problem is that we have people who have worked in the organization for 20, 30 years, right? So how do you change the mindset of uh, people who <laughs> used to watching clock, you know, coming at nine, going off at six, happily every day, and, you know, they may not create the value of nine to six, but they happily create value their own little way, but you don't measure it. You measure time, right? Yeah. That's the problem. So I'm trying to change that culture of uh, measuring value. I'm trying to instill a culture that goes, uh, you know, look at value first, not time. So policies needs to be aligned, processes need to be aligned. We're in, in transition. I don't think we're there yet. Uh, but the idea is that we will uh, issue value cut, cut that tick, then you get paid on a stack of cuts that you did at the end of the year, right? So that's yeah. the general idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. it's a transition. We're not there. It's, uh, it takes a long time, I suppose, uh, changing culture, which is yeah. the key. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Can you talk to also the inner critic that we all have, especially in the, when you're in creative mode and there's so much uncertainty? I'm speaking in the business context now, but, but yeah. similarly in an art context where, you know, you might be drawing something and you might hear that voice in your head saying, oh, that's no good, you know. So just, just maybe yeah. if you can talk through how do you manage your inner critic yeah. if, if it shows up or when it was very loud. 
Yeah, I think it's very simple to me. At the end of the day, we all have uh, an, a critic that sits next to you and is always oh. talking negatively, sometimes positively, right? So you just oh. need to be able to tune the, the volume. And I, I personally believe that at the end of the day, human, well, human beings the only, I think, animal that has this capability of being able to astro project ourselves outside our body and look at ourselves from the outside. FPV yeah. view, first point, first shooter point of view, sort of, <laughs> you think you, you're not doing something right, right? And that's right. not... You know, that's not cool or whatever, maybe that uh, sort of you know, that's speaking to you on the side. Yeah. But over the years, I've learned to sort of giving it a balance, right? I think when I started as an artist, it was terrible. It's like, oh, you know, I can't draw. I don't know enough theory. I don't have anything in my head to nothing to inspire me. There's no, you know, but hard work sort of conquers it. I think like all things, right? Oh. So um that's been a motto of my life i think it's really about just putting in the hours putting hard work and again i use my daughter as an example she's a gymnast so she spends 16 hours a week in the gym wow. uh, you know bouncing around doing all her hoops and whatever not and uh i was trying to get her to pass a grade five uh, piano right oh. and i remember a couple of years before that and uh, we had this conversation said daddy i just cannot play the piano right you know i just I can't play. I said, how many hours do you spend practicing your piano? She looked at me like, sheepishly, right? It's not, not a lot. I said, so how many hours do you practice your gymnastic? Well, you know, six, 12 hours then, I think. And I said, well, what's the difference, right? Do you see the results of your sweat and tears going in? So don't tell me that you can't play or you're not good at it or you're not born with it until you've even put some work into it. And at the end of the, let's say, four hours of practice a week that you put into your piano, if you tell me that after four hours, I'm still really, really bad at it. And this is, you know, terrible. Okay, maybe that's uh, something about your, uh, you know, but the fact is everybody is given the same equal 24 hours a day. So oh. just put in hours, right? Oh. Um, at work, it's the same, right? I think if you're struggling with some parts of the business world, I think if you have talked to enough mentor, if you have like, you know, gone for enough training and you have got people to coach you, you have peers to bounce ideas off, you trust some of your subordinates to give you good you know, feedback from the ground. All this hard work that needs to go in, um, bound to pay off in some ways. It's not always going to be a success on one try. That doesn't work in real life. We all know that. Uh -huh. So you must put in the hours, get enough failures in your belt. Um, yeah, there's a saying in the art world, right? There's uh, 10,000 bad painting in all of us. The sooner we get rid of them, the better it is. Nice. So likewise, if you're in the lead in the business world, you must have had the capability and competency to have led and failed and led and failed. And, you know, eventually you get to run a much bigger company because you've had skills of running and failing in the past, right? And then speaking of failure, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely correct. Speaking of failure, especially in the enterprise world uh, and the fear of failure or the kiasu kind of concern, yeah. I was curious, how have you managed external critics, whether it be, you know, your board or maybe key customers who might have been more comfortable with the status quo and uncomfortable yeah. with maybe a prototype idea that you might want to try? Yeah, no, I think at the end of the day, you can never get everybody behind you. Not mm -hmm. always. It's mm -hmm. important to try to do that, especially if it's your board or your management team. You've got to sort of align both the external agreement as well as the internal motivation and agreement, right? I, I, if they don't believe in it, then I think you have one support less and that's not good. At best, they are neutral, at worst, they become your resistance, right? Mm, yeah. So it's very important to sort of deal with it. And I think it depends on the person that you're dealing with too. I mean, at the end of the day, I apply a lot of social skills around it. Um, you know, just trying to understand whether they are looking for data, they are looking for uh, 
confirmation via one-to-one or they are looking at some kind of uh, a vision that is uh, lacking or needs sharpening or uh, they just need to have uh, an understanding of what's happening to the people and organizing. I mean, whichever aspects that can come from, right? Be yeah. vision, data, uh, drive or uh, people aspects of, of, of it. Um, yeah. I think at the end of the day, it's about getting alignment. Uh, not always possible to get everybody. And I think it's fine in the business world, especially. You just got to go with uh, the maximum, you know, and then time sometimes is of the essence. So you don't have the time to deal with all those as well. So you just got to, you know, uh, you know, deal with your critics, so to speak. I've had plenty of critics in my life. Um, if at the end of the day, uh, you can assess the terrain, then you just got to place all your chess pieces and then just go away. Yeah. Um, and, you know, thank God so far it's been really good. So That's uh, great. That's great. Yeah, I think that's been yeah, tremendous. Do you have any tips for how to be more creative? For example, like as adults, I think we forget how to play like we did when we were yeah. kids. So do you have any tips, uh, something like around playing more or the del- deliberate practice of creativity that you can share with us? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, as a leader in the business world, it's important to have creativity, right? Clearly, we all, we all agree to that. The question is how and what. Mm. I think, you know, I've seen people trying photography. It's a, it's a fantastic way of uh, doing that. Maybe I'll just take a step back and I'll just talk about like as a person, not so much as a leader. Uh-huh. We spend Monday to Friday, sometimes Saturday, thinking about work and then oh. your mind is just filled with you know worries, issues yeah. and sure. whatever not, right? Non-delivery, right? Uh, coats not cut on yeah. time, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're all familiar with that. And then what you do is that you go on a, a Saturday and a Sunday and then you don't reduce this sort of congestion in your mind. And then you come back on Monday, right? So you get burnt out at the end because, you know, your mind is constantly filled with this. So what I suggest to a lot of my team leaders and in fact, the whole organization is that, you know, you feel it with, this is like a cup, right? You fill it with something else. You fill it with photography, with art, with cooking, with, you know, something that, that tends to take the entire mind and whole body in, whatever you may, you choose, you know, your, your, your vice, so to speak. The idea is to, fill it in and it starts to displace the worry and the, the whatever. It can never go to zero, right? Mm. And then on Monday, it gets filled back again, right? And then you repeat on a cycle. And I think weekly cycle is really good, actually. Weekly mm-hmm. cycle is very natural to our body. Mm-hmm. So you just do this, right? And then you do more of creativity and then you come back. So you get rested, charged, uh, mm-hmm. you do something else from work and your mind is fresh to think about, like, you know, completely the problem that you left behind on Friday oh. and you can pick it up again. I mean, there's some things that can't wait to, you have to work through a weekend. I understand, but yeah. Yeah. cutting that you know, has to be done. I understand, yeah. but that's a good cycle to operate in. And I find, you know, having done this for more than a decade now, I actually think it's fantastic, right? Your mind is fresh. You're excited about work. You're actually going to work with excitement rather than trepidation and Monday blues I never understood what Monday blues is all about, right? Oh. Uh, Friday blues is like, oh, I gotta go. Like, you know, it's things to do. But I refuse to think about work on the weekend because I think that's just bad for the mind and, oh. and so generally for your family, not forgetting about family and friends and, you know, you just can't cultivate any of this. Uh, there are some rules that you can avoid. I understand that. But, you know, generally that's kind of like the cycle. So, yeah, practice creativity, practice cycle, uh, manage stress by just, you know, putting something else in your mind as opposed to letting it simmer in the background over the oh. weekend and then you're burned after a while because you Absolutely. know I, i've been through that i've been burned many times in my career i work hard and you know i was working crazy hours right mm. two, in, two in the morning come back eight and, you know, i've done all that right mm. i find that it's not optimal i i'm actually suboptimal at the end of the day so mm. true mm. true i love that you said that and and i myself have learned 
to not feel guilty at the end of Friday and not feel guilty through the weekend when I'm re- consciously recharging and spending con- yeah. you know time quality time with family or, or just uh, quiet me time for myself. Yeah, exactly. And so I feel so much better come Monday morning, just ready to start my week and you know, full power. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. and not feeling like. The need to push through, I think I used to have that, whereas like, okay, I know we haven't done this yet, but it's like, as the leader, I'm expected to just like push through, push through, or maybe it's the Asian in me that, you know, you need to just like run, you know, like just get through it. And I don't think that's a sustainable, healthy way and to be really available to my team or to my family and friends. Yeah. No, I mean, my team knows I'm available 24 by 7, right? Mm-hmm. If they need they can call me, they can text mm-hmm. me. The urgent one surely deserves the call, I suppose. Sure. But I also believe that if you hire really smart people, you get out of the way, right? Yeah. You, you, yeah. you get out of the way and then you let them do their job and you deal with the inter, you know, organization politics that they cannot solve. Yeah. Uh, and that you should just get them, let them get on with it, right? Yeah. It's interesting that the fact that Kiasu and critics are all sort of plenty, right? Mm. Uh, it's an easy way of, uh, easier way for a director to put on question than give you suggestions always, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> why would it fail as opposed to why might it work? Yeah, I mean, if yeah. you if if you're a director, I mean, if they're if they are very good, right? They probably won't be a director. They'll be running companies. No, no, no <laughs> respect to directors. I mean, I have a lot of respect for them, <laughs> especially mine. Uh, if this ever get out, they... yes, yes. <laughs> but, um, my point is that um, it's easier to ask questions why things don't work than yeah. say, here's what you need to try or do, right? Um, yeah. Positive example and and, and direction. Yeah. It's very hard because there's just not enough. Uh, uh, the skills to go around today, especially yeah. technology and digital. It's just not enough. So everybody uses old mindset and old yes. structure. And old paradigms. I think, you know, part of being truly disruptive is actually reimagining and questioning some assumed facts and assumed yeah. truths. So you know, if you, when you're really disrupting, like if I think of Airbnb, who would have thought that couch surfing would have been a, yeah. a real business, right? Plan, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Creating so, value out of that is just amazing, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, WeTech, for sharing with us your fascinating and inspiring journey on how you have been developing you and your team's creativity. And thank you for listening to this Future That Works podcast episode. Join me in this podcast series as we explore with our guests who are business leaders and experts in their field, their personal stories of both their successes and their failures. These leaders embody not just their IQ, but the emotional intelligence that has fueled them and their teams to find and fulfill their purpose. My intention is these conversations are real and help us with unlocking our full potential as human beings at work and at home. Please subscribe to our podcast at bit.ly, B-I-T L-Y slash future that works and email me as I'd like to know from you who you'd like to see as guests and what questions you'd like me to ask. You can email me at Teresa, T-H-E-R-E-S-A at play to lead. Co with your feedback and questions. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found some actionable tips that you can do right away. The greatest compliment you can give us is to refer this podcast to a friend. Please leave us an awesome review on iTunes or Spotify. Our next episode will be with Ryan Lim, entrepreneur, founding partner, and principal consultant of QED Consulting. We will be speaking to him about how to be more influential. Until then, thanks again.